You're listening to a Wheeler Centre podcast. I remember the first sort of emails that I would send. I was like really caught up in, oh gosh, this is a trigger warning for everything. And that's important. But um, by the end of the collaborations, I felt like I could write whatever I wanted and I wouldn't shock or completely gross out the other person. It was all going to be okay. Like things could get weird and that's fine. (laughs) And they do get weird. Hi, everyone. Good evening. Welcome, welcome, welcome to uh, Writing the Future of Health. Uh, Tonight is an event of collaboration uh, between six poets, and we're going to be talking about a whole lot of things. We're going to talk about collaboration, we're talking about mental health, we're talking about poetry and writing and creative solutions. Uh, Tonight is part of the Big Anxiety Festival. Uh, I'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment, but uh, first up, uh, because we're gonna be talking together on stage and we're a fair bit away, I'll take our mask off for now. Um, Yeah, important thing to acknowledge is that uh, We are meeting today on the lands of the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people, the Kulin Nation, uh, the traditional custodians of the land that we are on now. Uh, I want to acknowledge um, any First Nations people in the audience, whether they are here physically or online. And I pay my respects to their elders, past and present and emerging. Uh, When we're thinking about mental health challenges, Uh, We also recognise that they are disproportionately visited on First Nations people um, and reminded that solutions in that area have to come from Indigenous knowledge and sovereignty. Um, As I said, this is part of the Big Anxiety, a festival which brings together creative thinkers, including artists, researchers, scientists, health and community workers and poets, Uh, people with a wide range of lived experience in order to reimagine mental health care for the 21st century. Uh, Mental health care has an awful history um, and we hope that it has a much better future. Uh, Big Anxiety is a radically new kind of arts festival designed to encourage conversation, curiosity, insight and action. So we are going to hear some poems tonight for in the first half of the session. And the second half will be a conversation between the poets on stage. The festival was created in 2016 and it's been going since then. Uh, There are a number of uh, events, many of them interactive, that you can find out more about on the Big Anxiety website, so do that. Uh, Tonight's event, Writing the Future of Health, Uh, is called that because uh, I'm the Writing the Future of Health Fellow. Uh, My name's Andy Jackson, I'm a poet and an essayist, and uh, I was fortunate enough to be awarded the RMIT's Health Transformation Lab Writing the Future of Health Fellowship. 
that came about effectively as a way for them to get involved in social innovation and social change by including creative thinkers, writers who can take an original approach to what is often a very complicated situation. Um, and my idea for that fellowship was to bring a whole bunch of other writers together, uh, especially writers with experience of disability or mental illness or neurodiversity, and talk together and write together. So we've done that. And uh, tonight we're bringing you some of our poems. There are about 24 writers. Uh, there'll be another event coming up uh, perhaps later on this year, maybe early next year, where we'll celebrate the, the end of the, the fellowship. Uh, so please get in touch with me or with RMIT's Health Transformation Lab if you want to find out more. So that's the official stuff. Uh, I want to first, uh, before we get into the poetry, just recognise that, uh, not surprisingly, tonight's uh, poems will deal with some perhaps sensitive and triggering topics. So please take care of yourself and take care of each other. Um, I'm sure you will. So um, I'm very glad to see people here tonight. It's a real honour to um, share these wonderful poems with you. Um, yeah, so uh, I think, ironically, uh, we're talking about collaboration. Uh, one of our writers is actually uh, resident in Brisbane, and her name's Anna Jacobson. Uh, so Anna is not physically with us tonight, but she is with us virtually. So we'll watch a video that she pre-recorded for us tonight. Uh, but before we play that, I will just um, read you her bio, because she is a wonderful writer. Uh, Anna Jacobson is a writer and artist from Brisbane. Uh, Amnesia Findings is her first full-length poetry collection published by UQP in 2019, which won the 2018 Thomas Shapcott Poetry Prize. In 2020, Anna won the Nillenbuck Prize for Contemporary Writing, was awarded a Queensland Writers' Fellowship and was shortlisted in the Spark Prize. In 2018, she won the Queensland Premier's Young Publishers and Writers Award. Her poetry chapbook, The Last Postman, was published with Vagabond Press in 2018. So um, she might not be physically in the room, but uh, I would love you to applaud her anyway. Uh, this is Anna Jacobson on screen. I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which I am speaking, writing and creating, the Yagara and Turrbal people, and pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Hi everyone, I'm Anna Jacobson and this is my poem, Grounding Techniques. Where are your feet? They twitch in a bed. Where are your hands? They type this poem on a phone in the dark at 5.49pm. Where is your psychiatrist? Boxed in an office, she once said I have a straight face that some would call resting bitch face. She said to practice smiling in the mirror. I did not practice but left her practice after nine years of similar asides. 
Where is your psychologist? Stewing in a field of citrus, she tells me to suck on lemons. You suck on a lemon. She says to acknowledge my anger. It's acknowledged, I say. Now what? But time's up and that's for next session. Where is your fun? My life is a pandemic and my brain is on fire withdrawing from an antidepressant that tried to kill me. Fun is quarantined in this realm. Where is your stomach? It's big and round, right here, filled with 10 years of antipsychotics. Where are your lungs? I put them away in a drawer. They don't work at night. Where is your lockdown? In a room with an indoor plant that has 21 leaves. The leaves continue to unfurl while I stagnate in their water tray. Where are your eyes? They are wet and held in the crook of my elbow, which I sometimes use to open train doors. Where is your God? In the wrong dress pocket somewhere in my cupboard. Where is your brain lost in a fog? Where is your heart a long way from home? So Andy asked me to write a paragraph on the future of health as part of a collaborative essay. This is my contribution. Caring doctors who listen with empathy are gold. While these rare doctors are the future, we need to weed out the other kind that are proliferating the continent. Doctors who give shocking treatment, verbal abuse, emotional and medical trauma and gaslight their patients. It's time for patients to stop spending decades trying to find the right fit of healthcare professional when all we are searching for is someone who can do their job with compassion. The weeding out process needs to start at grassroots level. Students training to become specialists, doctors, psychiatrists, psychologists or nurses must undertake narrative medicine before entering into professional practice. Narrative medicine, the creation of empathy between doctor and patient through storytelling, is an expanding field in America and forms a new subject in medical degrees. Medicine students are encouraged to journal to understand their patients and situation in a more holistic way. This needs to be compulsory so that those with appalling bedside manner and abysmal patient listening skills will fail and never enter into face-to-face -face consultation with clients who deserve better. This needs to happen in Australia. However, more can be done to diversify an out of medicine to create a better future for patients. Patients' own writing, artwork and storytelling expressing lived experiences is the answer to creating understanding and empathy. Only then can narrative medicine operate at a higher level. Doctors must therefore gain visual literacy and written comprehension skills to understand the patient's story, not just through verbal communication. Doctors who treat their patients like specimens, without respect, branching authority, who judge and lack care, nuance and sensitivity, have no place in the future of our health. 
that world is over. The future of health is empathy. No longer will we be trees strangled on our way to accessing help. But we need gardeners in our universities and institutions who can pull out the weeds, stopping the spread of poisonous negligence and enabling patient-centred care to flourish so we can grow on our own terms. We hold power and knowledge in our lived experience of our own body and mind. It's time for healthcare professionals to listen. Training has only just begun. How to Knit a Human, the interactive version, was created with choice-based digital storytelling through the Twine platform as part of my PhD at QUT and can be found on my website, annajacobson.com.au under the project section. The pathways the reader can take represent the inconsistencies of memory loss from a severe episode of psychosis I experienced in 2011 and enforced electroconvulsive therapy treatments. The creative process for the interactive version began with my adaption of my memoir manuscript. As I developed this piece of electronic literature, I incorporated the visual along with the text, creating my own animations, drawings and scans for an immersive experience. The reader can engage in these parts of my story and actively participate in the losing and regaining of agency through my narrative perspective to gain a better understanding of my experience. As a result, this work could also benefit mental health professionals as an important resource to empathise with one example of a patient's journey through the psychiatric hospital system. Through the digital form, I allow my experience to travel beyond what a literary text can do by utilising multiple choices that link to different alternatives and possibilities that exist in my memory. By taking power in my own valuable lived experience, I aim to reduce the stigma in society and institutions. Thank you, Anna. Uh, so yeah, please check out her website if you love what she did there. Uh, our next uh, poet is Gemma Mahadeo. Uh, I'll read her bio. Um, my apologies. Uh, Gemma moved to Australia in 1987. Their written work and multimedia has been published nationally, both online and in print. They are a founding member of the Disabled QBIPOC Collective, along with CB Mako, Hannah Morphy Walsh, and Pauline Vertuna. When not writing, they occasionally make music, drink lots of tea and beer, and fuss over cats, and so do I. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, please join us. Make a welcome. Uh, we're going to read a poem that we wrote uh, very recently, but uh, yeah. I love it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> it's called Ori. Sometimes nothing feels awry. Not for a whole day, but a cluster of moments as the light seems impossibly to hold. Sometimes everything feels awry. 
The days, made up clusters of moments, are not all darkness. They are as absolute as antimatter. My wardrobe spans size near anorexic to watch your cholesterol level obese. Its ability to annoy immediate family is my inability to apparent refusal to update to latest fashions. I mean it, this isn't poetic license. Some angle of delicate light can hold, though I can't hold it. 2, 3 a.m. The dark is a consoling stillness, a loving cat nagging for their human to slide under bedclothes. A finger or three of whiskey with a too big bowl of ice cream. Gratitude for a pet's unconditional love and momentary hedonism is my occasional prayer. Hold and expand. A shirt that fits. A gaze landing softly for once. Another mouthful of dark ale and a fridge surprise meal that ended up much better than we expected. The fact I can say we still stops me in my pothole tracks. The times there is no cat to wake up to. Professionals bring water and medications to your bedside. A private psych ward is not a hotel. Fasting overnight, starving, barely awake at dawn, yet needing to be conscious to be rendered unconscious when your turn comes last. Counting to four, a darkness very much needed. There's been too much time lost to hospitals on our backs, waiting for the whiteness of the ceiling to come down and fix us, as if. The whole thing is impaired, and I know my ache is not your pain, which is not their suffering. Why do I think myself alone? I am too hard slash difficult slash complicated to be a daughter, a sibling, an aunt, a woman. Circling us, the new moon, bittersweet pill. So often I'm alone and always lonely. Will ECT continue long enough to disrupt menses? That wants to swallow us. I have learnt to internalise. Man, less than. I am trying to quieten this murmur in my bones so I can listen. Every single muscle aches in chorus from the micro cramps of convulsion. No menstruation, no PMDD symptoms. Its cessation brings about temporary gender euphoria. I'm not supposed to celebrate this. Um, I'm going to read a poem called Crater. It's not finished, so I'm just going to read sections of it. Um, Andy, if it's a bit too long, just give me a signal and I'll, yeah. Um, yeah, and I'm um, just a warning, I do talk about electroconvulsive therapy and being in a psychiatric ward, so if you need to pop out, if anything's too distressing, please make sure you look after yourselves first and foremost. Crater. Not smart ask me wants to ask, no one in particular, do you know where your head's really at when thinking about bikinis? We got a swimsuit namesake from a place whose inhabitants were forcibly removed from their atoll old analogue telly footage of the mushroom cloud after nuclear testing. I wanted to liken this forced evacuation to chemo, 
but that kills both the good and the bad so that a larger body might survive. Not choosing to go with lithium seemed like a wise idea at the time. There was an informed, concerned parent's expertise and care. The chosen administered seizures, I learned, also had their complications. I do not have the stretch of an atoll who could house, home, nourish people, ecosystems, growth. My lost count of tiny earthquakes had their own complications, leaving the body as land's compositions being played out of time by its wayward orchestra. The din won't stop reverberating. Various chemicals ingested quit doing their job a while back. It was thought that jump-starting the body might lead to a reboot. In order to survive this, you have to play it down, make jokes at your own expense. Me, what if you're bipolar? Psychiatrist, we still go with the opposite side of your head according to your dominant hand. Me, what if you're ambidextrous? Psychiatrist, we try both. Me, to myself, gulping smart arsery down. There is a sight, left side of skull, tending towards back, altering how you must part your hair marked by continual bombings repeated periodically, on off, on off, on off, over several years. The skin there, it took ages and age, some countless times for the hair to grow, regrow, be lost, come back. The crushed site is perimeter is marked by a reverse or failed crop circle of silver, silver Tolkien elf gossamer growth. It sounds pretty, no? Despite its signaling indicator of bodily, not psychic trauma. Me, do they, take, do they do both sides simultaneously or take turns? Psychiatrist, they try one side each, then both sides at the same time. Me, thinking, the only time one-sidedness is ever desperately desired. It only takes three to five seconds, but hours for the general to wear off more hours still to be able to wa wash out the sticky electroconductive gel out of the hirsute forest lushness, which thankfully remains standing. Me, in thought, wonder who's gonna try that as a hack? Things you could use as makeup primer, just another kind of lube. I mean, if there's one for penetrative sex, then it makes sense to have one for sanity. You tell yourself next time, fool, Next time you are in for a course of treatment and an impatient, hack off all your half-desi jungle. A lack of plumage at other sites nearby will be experienced. What exactly does the rest of the body as island remember? That which not all of the brain, dearest main server, dearest power grid will. Decolonized me in realization. This is the invasiveness of colonization at a molecular level. We must save the natives from themselves. The colonizers are screaming. The ECT psychiatrist prescribes more treatments than sounds necessary. He doesn't have to live with a Swiss cheese brain's memory. It has a place. We are a Swiss cheese shame-free zone here, thank you very much. Psychiatrist, if you think you've had enough treatments and no more will be therapeutic, I support your judgment. We'll call this course over. We can move to maintenance now. Can someone else weep for our microscopic lack?
Can you mourn the loss of nose hair if you have no eyelashes to catch the tears? What will snot latch onto? Why did my pubes not drop out instead? Perhaps to poke fun at the lack of menses. The joke's on them. No period, no time period for premenstrual symptoms, no PMDD. The cycles exist for a reason, but they are confusing to those outside some binaries. Me, crestfallen. Do tears exist if they cannot be caught in the protective barbed wire promising ocular safety? Months after treatments have long stopped, the body's clock is still at odds with itself. It won't bleed monthly, some small mercy for some of my ailments. I shift my focus to the plumbing. At my inner elbow, a blur of the bruise color spectrum, visible if you squint or focus. The veins are in shreds, I'm told. Me, recalling anesthetists wince after several treatments. Are they plumbers of sorts? And the syringe one of their tools? Is this why collapsed veins being noticed as a judgment? If you could traipse through these underground tunnels, what stories would they tell of this here island? It takes at least a year before the orchestra can play in Concord and keep time. The conductor left their post quite some time ago. I keep forgetting why the conductor left. Me, to a colleague at the seaside, really? The first thing I think of is how a person would die of hypothermia before they had a chance at being drowned by fierce waves. Colleague, that's where your mind took you? That's dark. It doesn't take so long to remember the conductor's gone again. Thank you. Thanks so much, Gemma. That was wonderful. Uh, next up is Bo Winden. Uh, Bo is a neurodivergent writer of Wiradjuri descent, based in Nam. His greatest loves are YA and speculative fiction, meaning he spends most of his time writing quirky stories about quirky people in quirky situations. Currently, he's focused on developing his hybrid memoir, quirky stories about his quirky self, and poetry about all the dark goo slathered around his brain. Bo is passionate about creating greater awareness about neurodiversity and mental health issues. If you ever converse with him and it gets too awkward, just mention pro wrestling, and he'll ramble about it for hours. Uh, please make him very welcome. Thank you. Oh, there's my voice. Um, <laughs> all right, I'm going to read uh, two poems here. Um, the first one is a poem that, uh, it's a solo poem. Um, when I find myself having an episode or in any kind of distress, one of the things that really, um, I guess, like centers me and helps me uh, through it is music. Um, so this poem was written as part of a project uh, where I listened to one of my comfort artists and then I write a poem um, based on how I feel like directly after listening to that. Uh, so with this project, I'm actually going through and listening to every single Taylor Swift song and then writing a poem based on how <laughs> it made me feel. Um, this one is called I Almost Do and it's based on the song I Almost Do um, <laughs> from the album Red by Taylor Swift. Shrip, shrip, 
snicked, snicked. Some nights I see my hands splitting open, splintered apart by the shards of hard thoughts. I don't know, or rather don't think. That's your problem. You don't think. I know you think that, but I do, I do. I, I, I do think about it a lot. The logic is clear, yet I'm illogical in pieces, fragmented by intrusive thoughts that, 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 uh, scream malcontent, dream disarray, scheme madness absolute. So call me the crazy one. Broken down by my own blade, bold Brittany bade me made, I am colossal as an avalanche, discreet as a whisper, out of place like flames in the Arctic. Unbury me from the letter diagnosis, ASD, OCD, ADHD, MDD, GAD. God is not a therapist, but a concept for discrimination. Worthless child. That's what I hear before sleep. Stop making excuses. That's the tale of my existence. It's not a big deal. That's the sound of me drowning. Hands up, but disbelieved. Know me as the character that's called unrealistic. Define me a disruption to the peace and quiet. I am silent as an unhappy marriage, on the rocks in despair, off the edge. That is to say, I am the calm misery before the explosion. The towel on the bathroom floor, the dirty cereal bowl left on the coffee table, the wrong DVD placed in the wrong case. I am hushed until triggered by the teeny tiniest tipple of regular regulation wrapped wrong. Breathing isolation saves me the shame of constant reminders that I fall behind most because time distrusts me and me it, so everything falls into senseless oblivion. My tongue longs for the day that I am asked to do something simple and instead of an internal freakout, I nod and say, no problem rather than leaping to ways that I can disappear. I want to fade out of my self-contained prison and escape into a future where I don't quite feel free because the discomfort is so well-worn that it has somehow become comfortable. But I almost do. Almost free. Free uh, with conditions. Thank you. Just uh, sneaking over again to introduce our next poet who will be collaborating uh, with Bo, and that's Sarah Stevens. Uh, I'll read her bio here. Uh, Sarah Stevens is an emerging poet from Bunurong country, Melbourne. Her words have appeared in Cordite, Baby Teeth Journal, Catalyst, Bowen Street Press and other online spaces and I'm sure many more in the future. Uh, she is the ASA Ray Cop Varuna Fellow for 2022 and a Rise Victoria Writability Fellow. Uh, her work has also been shortlisted for the 2022 Ada Cambridge Poetry Prize. So please make Sarah really welcome. Thanks everyone, and like Gemma, can also be found making lots of fusses about cats. <laughs> um, Alright, uh, so this poem is called uh, Clean Surfaces, Rigorous Rituals. Logic avoids me when my mind meets mania. 
Dry, cracked hands cropped from rigorous rituals wrought upon me by a phony fear of fear formations framed from the weight of the pressure crushing me. Stop and check and count and curse till the nameless crowd holds me in their judgment and brands me a crackpot or scallywag or drunkard or shh. Sometimes when my nerves shatter and shake, I see no way of relieving the pressure, like I am a liter of soda pop spraying out of control, empty into the point of extinguishment, bursting nothingness next to the bottle cap that is closing me into myself. Sometimes I am shame itself. Logic avoids me at all times. Broad accent hiding behind city lights. I'm not thinking about the time. It takes me to move from bed to shower to acceptable attire, then sit at the desk in my study, pretend I'm ready for another day of smiling vacantly at my virtual self and making it look like actual eye contact. Stop and check. I'm not thinking about how much money I've spent on filling voids that sound suspiciously like diagnoses that could be roadmaps, that could be sanctions, that could be a constant inconvenience. I think myself a constant inconvenience. Diagnosed by professionals so I can professionally diagnose myself a problem. Suspicious of everything. My heart is a whole. I am wholly in my void, avoiding a world which has placed me as a tourist destination on a road map to an ill-functioning society. My voice vacantly hides behind city blights. Human contact eludes me as I submit myself to the looping rituals that will convince me that I'm okay. The people pull together, populating a party that... I want to attend without worry of my mangled mental state manipulating my face into a target of whisperings. What is wrong with them? My illness is a tourist destination populated by a love of colour, coated bookshelves and clean surfaces. I eat tension for breakfast. Your menu is more extensive. We're all a little bit, aren't we? I'm so... Suspicious of everything I'm not reading. The memes about perfect refrigerators, the blisters on my hands aren't laughing and even they are a stereotype. I submit myself to the looping urges, Instagram curses, TikTok murmurs. The only way to know peace is with a pen and even then it costs more than I earn. Logic uh, voids me. Sometimes, sometimes I'm shame, shame itself. itself. When I stop and check, make it, it look, look like, like eye contact. contact. I'm spent in suspicion, a, a constant, constant inconvenience, destined to eat tension, an, an ill-functioning society. Color code. Did clarity submit, submit myself to the looping rituals and cursed N urges calamity? Submit, submit myself to the looping rituals. We're, We're all a little bit, aren't we? I'm so. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. I'm just going to read one of my own solo poems and then a couple more with another lovely poet in the room. Uh, this one's called Fear Diary, and it's based um, on a poem originally written by Sam Ducker-Jones, and I really, really encourage you to read their work. It's magnificent. Fear Diary. Monday. 
heartbeats in the airport toilet, spilled medication absorbed into skin, passing out at Kmart. Thursday, dying in a taxi, dying malnutrition, dying accidental overdose. Saturday, vomiting on the train, on the GP's desk, vomiting in the bathroom, in gold class, vomiting at the dinner table, into the wrong Tupperware, passing out at Priceline. Sunday, eyes closing for too long, passing out at Woolies. Monday, burning from the inside out. Thank you. Beautiful. Uh, thanks so much, Sarah. Uh, next up, uh, certainly not least, but uh, the wonderful Alex Kreese. Uh, we're looking forward to see, hearing her. Um, Alex is a writer, poet, student, collage artist, and average kook living on Wadawurrung land. Uh, she also tinkers with other people's poems as the production editor for Cordite Poetry Review and is also the online editor for Archer magazine, both wonderful publications. Uh, Alex was awarded, was awarded a Writability Fellowship in 2019 and a Wheeler Centre Hot Desk Fellowship in 2020. Sample of Alex's work was highly commended in the 2019 Next Chapter Scheme and she was shortlisted for the Cat Musket Fellowship in 2021. Um, another poet you'll hear much more about in the future, I'm sure. So please make Alex really welcome. We have to arrange ourselves based on height, so <laughs> Alex gets the tall person microphone. <clears throat> okay, this one is called You Can Find Her. You can find her settling on a diagnosis straight out of Instagram, fumbling through labels and medications, softening the blow with emojis, in schoolyards and doctors' offices. The psych makes it real. New names for old insults. Kneeling at the altar of another public toilet. Fighting through muck and madness. Escaping the noise, people, panic, heat. Drowning in lights, trauma, action, inertia. Tiles agreeing to be friends. The world as a nemesis. Wishing for sunglasses to survive the supermarket. Hiding from well-intended cliches. For brain fog to clear. From old stereotypes. For someone to make the bed. From textbook pathology. For the cat to talk. From herself. For rest. From you. You can find her learning not to fight the body. Let it shiver with delight. Stim given permission. You can't find her. You can't find her. You can't find her. And our last one together is called Our Pain, Our Whimsy. We are the blankets curled around each other's ankles in the height of winter. A well-stocked medicine cabinet and a script that arrives at the door without asking, without having to remember. A GP who believes everything on the first go and everything after that. Quiet hours at the supermarket where nobody stares and the safe foods are always in stock. There's no normal. 
Hands do what they need to, voices make sounds no one is surprised by. There are enough houses to go around without someone needing to die first. Sensitivity isn't a game to be played, it's how leaders are chosen, and they are chosen by us this time. Wheelchairs and stims in Parliament, Kirribilli House is now a sensory room. Children wear whatever the fuck they want and no one tells them to sit still, or how or who to love. We are free to scoop out life's yoke, jammy and jubilant. We clock off for as long as we need, prioritising care and comfort. Our trauma matters, our pain, our whimsy, our complete and utter loveliness. No one is denied their needs. No one is denied their humanity. Play is for all ages, to squish and fidget and immerse and create. Age appropriate becomes an anachronism. The veil of maturity, professionalism, toxic positivity crumples to the ground. We are whole. We are held. We did a little waltz where we changed positions. (laughs) Um, I was, as with every poet that I've worked with, I've loved writing this poem with you. So uh, this is called Dystopia, and it's spelled D-I-S-topia. I think you'll get it. <laughs> At first, I disfigured it'd be a brief trend, shallow fetish or disability signaling, but requests kept coming. My inbox was crippled in the way that we mean it now, as in abundant brilliant. Someone wanted to break into modelling, so which surgeon would I recommend for crafting them a hump? Uh, Did I know any neurodiverse sensory architects who weren't fully booked out? Another wanted my help with the syllabus for an able-bodied conversion program. I should have them fill out an online deform with a capture that tests their normality. Let's deface it. Like many of us, I was tired, confused, beautiful. The neurotips sign up for therapy, eager to adhere to my social abnorms. Let's get freakified. They once banished me to a spurgatory. Now they beg me to treat their dysfunctional impairments. They stare at me in envy, no longer disgust or bewilderment. I teach them to read the lines, skip the in-betweens. I thread music through their smooth, songless bodies, embrace their maladaptive daydreams and behavioural blips. Unmask their neurotic erotics, somatic dramatics. They undertake my process of maddening, which is to say intensifying, glittering, honeying. So uh, now comes the sort of conversational part of the evening. Uh, So if the other poets could join us on stage, that would be wonderful. Um, I want to say first up that I love every single poet on the stage and Anna, who is on the virtual stage with us. It's been such an honour. Creatively and personally, it's been a really beautiful spending time creatively with you. Um, I want to ask everyone the same question, which is a really big one. Uh, When we think of the word collaboration 
And when we think of mental health care, uh, do those things ever come together? And, and saying those two things in the same sentence, how does that make you feel? Uh, what do you think about that? Um, I, I can sense generous thinking, so <laughs> would you like to start with it? Oh, wow. Um, I guess I have very um, personal mixed feelings about that because um, so both my parents were actually psychiatric nurses in the public and private sector here um, and they were also in England and um, as part of my culture I think it's uh, mental illness is not really something that happens to um, I guess people of my parents generation it doesn't happen to their children it happens to um, I guess more affluent um, Westerners um, so care was, mental health care was very weirdly collaborative. So I had my father's expertise who, I mean, it was incredibly lucky because when, um, uh, my main diagnosis is major depressive disorder and it got to a stage where I burnt, burnt out through a, a quite a few antidepressants and then, um, my psychiatrist suggested, um, do you want to try lithium or do you want to try ECT? And first thing I did was I asked my dad for advice and he said, okay, look, don't go lithium because if it, um, the, it's really hard to get the therapeutic range right. And then if you do have, if, um, if the side effects are really bad, it can damage the liver. Um, so... Yeah, so I, I chose ECT based on that. So in some ways, I guess, I, yeah, it's like very, very mixed blessings. Yeah. I had that insider information, but at the same time, um, I think there's a bit of pressure to kind of um, get better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I think that's a theme with maybe everybody here tonight, this kind yeah. of tension between you know, the pressure to get better, but also the acknowledgement that, you know, you're in the body and mind that you're in. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to also mention that I, I love this phrase in the poem of yours about feeling the need to make jokes at your own expense. So I think, I feel like there's a, yes, there's the fortunate of nature of having family and others that might support your decisions, but also you have to work your own way through the system and yeah. work out how to, Kind of handle that and yeah that that's not easy either no it's yeah. not <laughs> yeah. um Bo would you want to add anything to that in terms of um your experience with collaboration in the in the wider world yeah um so thinking about like collaboration and um I guess like mental health and stuff um I feel like the first time uh, the idea of like collaborating around anything like that um it scared the shit out of me um because i'm like the type of person that uh, likes to um burrow into my own hole and just like fester away in isolation yeah. i'm so like terrified of uh, uh infecting anyone with like uh, um my you know my all my shit basically um so yeah when uh, when you first approached me for this i was like oh shit that's that is terrifying um yeah. but i i found like the process of this really 
uh, really healing, um, you know, just to come into a project where everyone, you, you can't, you don't have to explain yourself so much. Um, and like, you know, working with, uh, like professionals, like psych professionals and everything, um, there's, there's a real sense of, uh, being kind of like crushed down and like, uh, no, no matter what you say or what you suggest they're they're the expert. So their opinion is always going to like trump anything else. So coming into like a project like this, where everyone's like kind of on the same foot and uh, mm. it, it just it, it feels like there's no pressure right mm. there's no pressure to explain yourself no pressure to like worry about you know putting anything negative on to anyone else because you know that everyone kind of yeah. gets it it's it, it feels like a real safe space yeah here you go and as you say in comparison to when you're approached by a professional in that you are your label and that's all you are yeah uh, even though they may not like theoretically think differently but the way they treat you is yeah it's like you know well this has worked in the past for other people that we have diagnosed with this so it will have to work with you and if it's not working with you then you're just not trying hard enough (laughs) yeah Yeah. um why do you have to be so difficult yes (laughs) why do you have to be so difficult it's not a big deal Mm, yeah indeed Mm. indeed and um sarah i wanted to uh uh, just quote that line from you back to at the we're all a little bit uh, line, <laughs> which I think many people will resonate with, because um, there is a difference, right, between people who uh, who are really seriously their lives are really shaped by what they're dealing with versus people who you know just want to think that they're uh, we're all kind of on the spectrum or whatever, you know. So oh, I like my pantry in a certain way. Or, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, uh, no, we're not all the same, of course, and I love that line. But, yeah, have you thought about this sense of collaboration in, in your life in general? Yeah, yeah, thank you. It's a really broad and beautiful question. Um, in response to your initial question, I, my gut was like, oh, suspicion and hope. Like, I think yeah. about in the medical sense, um, collaboration in the past has meant like collaboration at what cost, you know? So um, whilst I'm very privileged and lucky to be able to afford and seek treatment, you know, a lot of that treatment is, as we've all said, pathologizing myself to understand myself. Um, My main diagnosis is OCD, which is really still misunderstood and joked about, you know, in Hollywood movies and, So the collaboration, when it happens well, is beautiful, but unfortunately it's not always there, which is why projects like this is so incredible. Like, I've never felt such a sense of community as I have being involved in this project. Um, A few of us share diagnoses. To have someone mirror back to you, like, the ugliest parts of your experience, like, obviously you don't want them to be going through that, but to know that you're not alone is, like, something I'll never be able to put into words what that feels mm. like. Yeah. Um, also creatively, like it just has really pushed my boundaries. The poem that you heard from Bo and I, I've, I've never worked in such a performative, like sound rhythm kind of way. That was so cool. The stuff that yeah. I've written with Alex is stuff I've never thought about. Everyone I've worked with has pushed me into a direction that I've not been before. So. I think that's the parts that makes me that's the part that makes me hopeful because mm. there's so many of us we're getting together we're meeting each other and we can 
we can hold each other when we need to be held. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. And, and give each other space when we need space as well. That's yeah. been the really beautiful thing as well. So. Yeah. Um, and Alex, I want to quote you as well, if that's all right. Um, I loved our trauma matters, dot, 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 our loveliness. So, you know, like I think so much we, we often talk about trauma and we talk about all that and we should, but also, yeah, loveliness as well. Like, um, yeah, how did you feel about collaboration in, a, in the broader um, sense? This was a really different experience for me. Um, the poems that you've heard me read both with yourself and with Sarah yeah. are very different from what I usually write. I tend to be much more negative, so it was really in in interesting getting into sort of an aspirational kind of mindset of like what could things be like um and I would say I'm definitely like Bo in the sense that I'm more of a kind of solo festerer um I try not to um burden people with all my stuff um and you know I'm tend to be a very solitary person. Um, I always used to call myself a beautiful lesbian spinster. I now have a partner, so I've very much proven um, myself wrong in that sense. But I guess I've always gone into interactions with other people with a lot of reluctance. Um, When you approached me for this project, I was kind of like, I'm going to say yes, because it's Andy Jackson asking me to write things. This is amazing. But... um, I was very anxious about the collaborative nature of it just because I I consider myself very solitary and I've always considered my writing very much a solo practice. But this has been awesome and has really kind of broadened my awareness um, and my understanding of like what writing can be and how kind of having another person there can sort of add an interesting, not constraint, but some parameters around the work that... Um, you might not organically come to just on your own. And now I'm at the point mm. where I'm like, oh, are there more collaborations? Give them <laughs> <Yeah>. to me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I want to write with Gemma. I want to write with Bo. <laughs> can, we, can we just point out, because I know Andy won't do it himself, is that the whole reason these collaborations have gone so well is that he's created such a beautiful, welcoming space of acceptance and validation and like I walked into that the first time we met as a group with like almost mid panic attack and I saw Andy and it was just like "Ah." um (laughs) and that energy really really um affects me and I think yeah I just want to say thank you for creating this space oh look it's so I I mean I I share some of that feeling about collaboration that you have with so I'm kind of moved that you say that but also this sense of Writing for most of us is a solitary thing and we do it because it comes from somewhere quite deep and it comes from our particular experiences. But, yeah, it has been a kind of revelation for me to kind of realise that people that I, you know, if you looked at our uh, personal histories, we may have not much in common, but suddenly you go, oh, yeah, I know about that. I know about marginalisation. I know about shame. I know about... Um, ingenuity and pride a little bit, a tiny bit. Um, So uh, I think, yeah, it's almost felt like the the diagnoses or the labels or the disabilities are still there, but they're sort of, they're a bit lighter maybe, you know, where you just sort of go, well, actually, let's get on with it and have fun and, yeah, shape some things together. I think there was definitely more um, 
I mean, I, I did mention before that we don't all share diagnoses, yeah. but there was, um, it was an opportunity to just revel in other people's words and see what you could come up with yeah. as well. So mm. that, that's how I felt when I read um, the stands of work that you gave me. And it just, it kind of took me out of my own brain and was like, okay, now I have to focus on trying to write something good. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. And I, I think when I, when I first started, and I'd love to hear other people's thoughts on this, but when I conceptualised collaborative writing, I thought, well, uh, I'm go we're going to be writing together. But in a way, it's more like you, you're more of yourself. You just ac access different parts of yourself. Is that been what it's like for, for you? What you? What's it been like for you, Bo? Is it... Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's... Um... I, I think it's been a lot of, uh, you know, just putting down the shield, taking off the armour, um, yeah. uh, and uh, I, I guess, like, uh, it, it approaching the collaboration more like how, um, how you would uh, when you're a child uh, playing and you don't, uh, um, you don't really understand uh, the, uh, um, I guess, like, you know, the social norms or the rules or anything. It's just kind of... Um, I don't want to say a free for all, but it like you just feel very raw and yourself, and that feels like so nice. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. yeah I think I think Bo, you mentioned not feeling like a burden, and like that. Um, yeah, I remember the first sort of emails that I would send. I was like really caught up in, oh gosh, this is a trigger warning for everything, and that's important. But um, by the end of the collaborations, I felt like I could write whatever I wanted and I wouldn't shock or completely gross out the other person. It was all going to be okay. Like, yeah. things could get weird, and that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they do get weird. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Alex, um, do you, did you, how did you feel in that process? Um, I would say that I sort of treated it like I was kind of responding to what another person was yeah. doing. Um, I was really lucky that both you and Sarah were kind of willing to take the first step uh, sure. because that sort of, um, I, I really admire that because it's sort of an act of, of trust, sort of writing something and then sharing it with me so I can respond mm. to it. Yeah. Um, because I found like the starting of the project really hard of like, where do we begin with? And then mm. Sarah ended up just sending me a bunch of amazing words and we just had to play around with it. Um, so I was really fortunate that I was able to respond to what you were giving me and sort of try to, um, yeah, take it in whatever direction it felt natural. Yeah. Not try, like succeed. Yeah, yeah I think yeah, it's, it's a harder. real also skill to go second, like, and to be that compassionate responder and, uh, and like to have someone respond to your words after I've just gone, Bleh. yeah. <laughs> um, was a real honor and privilege to have to have that received. Yeah, I'm not articulating that well, but it's a real school. Thank you. Thank you. I wish um, we had the rest of the night to converse because uh, we also talk often about this idea of crip time where <laughs> things take as long as they take. But uh, we have an hour, so we're approaching the end of that hour. I just want to thank all our uh, writers tonight, Anna, 
Gemma, Bo, Sarah and Alex. Uh, my name's Andy Jackson. It's been a wonderful evening tonight. I should also thank the Wheeler Centre, RMIT Culture and the University of New South Wales uh, for their support for the Big Anxiety Festival. So it's been a wonderful time spending with you this evening here and online. So uh, please put your hands together for these wonderful poets. Thank you. You've been listening to Writing the Future of Health, curated by Andy Jackson and featuring Alex Kreese, Gemma Mahadio, Anna Jacobson, Bo Winden and Sarah Stivens. This event took place on October 3rd, 2022 at the Wheeler Centre. Writing the Future of Health was presented in partnership with RMIT Culture and UNSW as part of The Big Anxiety. The Wheeler Centre podcast is produced on the lands of the Wurundjeri and Woiwurrung people of the Kulin Nation. You can listen to more podcasts or explore videos, news and our full calendar of events at wheelercentre.com.